Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. With us today is Carrington Smith Treview, former trial lawyer, best-selling author, single mom, and owner of Carrington Legal Search. So for the past 22 years, Carrie has advised executives on career and life, and I've invited her here today to really give us the inside scoop on legal recruiting, what is going on in the legal recruiting world right now, and how we can use that knowledge to our advantage in hiring those A-plus performers on our team. So welcome, Carrie. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm sorry, I probably butchered your last name. It's okay. <laughs> it, goes, it goes with the territory. No worries. Uh, so uh, thanks for being here, though. I'm excited to talk with you. You've been on our books for a little while, and I've been looking forward to this. First, tell us a little bit about your journey, because you were a practicing attorney for several years before you started this uh, legal recruiting business in 2000. So tell us a little bit about you and how you, you know, what you led you to be a lawyer and then what led you to do this and kind of yeah. move away from it. Sure. Well, I think that like many people um, growing up, we're so much better these days with the internet of having exposure to lots of different types of careers but I grew up uh, the daughter of a doctor with the impression I kind of had like five career choices, doctor, lawyer, accountant, banker, you know, teacher, that was about it. So I kind of thought, what am I going to do? And decided that I wanted to go to law school. So, and it was also that sort of just, I needed to prove to myself that I could do it. That I was, you know, I, I, I kind of meet that, that level. So uh, I, went to Tulane Law School in New Orleans, and I graduated in 1993. And I don't know what, you know, the, I'm sure everybody has a different vintage of graduation, but uh, the year that I graduated, it was terrible as far as the job market. And um, I was one of the lucky few <laughs> to get a job. Uh, the year that I graduated in Austin, uh, the University of Texas had a career services bulletin that they sent out. And by the way, career services offices are a great resource for solo and small firm lawyers to do their recruiting. I'll start with that. Good. So uh, that that year, there was only one job advertised in Austin. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the, the firm, when I um, talked to them later, said they received over 300 resumes. Oh my and, goodness. Yes. And the, the title of the job was associate slash client liaison. And so um, the partner who hired me eventually told me that of those 300, 250 did not address the client liaison aspect of the job. So I was one of 50 that did. And then he, they picked 10 of us from that group and said, send us a letter. Why should they hire us? So I was very fortunate. I had recently taken a plane ride from New Orleans to Austin and had been lucky enough to sit next to the former mayor of Austin. Um, wow. Yes, it was Carol Keaton Rylander, mayor a long time ago. 
Um, and she gave me her business card. And so when I wrote this letter to them, why she, why should you hire me? I attached her card and I said, why hire me? Ask Carol Keaton Rylander. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) He, He called me, he picked up the phone and called me and said, you got my attention. And I said, well, I've just demonstrated, I have demonstrated that I have the skills necessary for the client liaison aspect of the job. And so, and he agreed. And so I ended up getting that job. Unfortunately, um, that firm was very, very dysfunctional. They had about 15 lawyers, 14, 15 lawyers, depending on the time of year. And they had a former Texas Supreme Court justice that worked there who sexually harassed me on a regular basis. Oh, no. At the time in Texas, the law mirrored the federal statute. And if you had less than 15 employees, then you um, were not subject to the sexual discrimination laws. And so I learned then that the reason that this former Supreme Court justice had chosen this firm was because of its size. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's crazy. Crazy. Oh my God. And now as a recruiter, I'm like, he should be at an American lawyer, you know, and law 100 firm. But I didn't understand that as a young lawyer. That was a big red yeah. flag. Yeah. So, um, so because they were sexually, he routinely sexually harassed me. Um, I reached out to a client. I luckily had those client relationships and I asked for a reference and said, look, I'm going to change jobs. I need to vote with my feet. I need to move. And the client said to me, uh, well, wherever you're going, we're going. And I have 16 more cases for you. Wow. So suddenly as a second year associate, I had portable business and I talked to the other associates and said, what do I do? And they said, we're leaving. We're starting our own firm. Wow. Oh, so as a second, yeah. So as a second year lawyer, um, I was like in over my head, but I had these more senior associates with me. We started our own firm and, you know, gradually my reputation, um, grew and I was fortunate to really land some great clients and get to first share some cases. But I realized through that process that I really missed a lot of the social aspects of what I, you know, I'm a very social person. And, um, and ended up deciding to go into uh, exec- executive search, legal recruiting, so that I could use my law degree, but have more of a um, social life as opposed to being tied to the billable hours. I know many lawyers hate that. Um, and so I've been doing this now. So I, I was a lawyer practicing for seven years, and I've been doing this now for 23 years. So I do bring wow. a lot of experience on that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what made you, uh, what was the pivotal moment for you to start your own legal search business? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So when I first started doing legal search, um, I just kind of really was just looking for any legal search firm to take me because I just, I so desperately wanted in the field. And so I took the first job that I was able to get, and it turns out it wasn't a great firm. And I learned very quickly that uh, they were taking a lot of my money and not <laughs> investing in me as an employee. And so I received very little mentoring or training, but they were more than happy to take more than 50% of what I was bringing in. And that didn't seem like a fair deal to me. So I decided to start my own search firm and I, I had my own firm for two years. And then I'm sure many of you all know major Lindsay in Africa, um, Bob Major reached out to me and through a mutual friend who I'd worked with at that first firm and said, 
you know, I, I know you're doing these general counsel searches for you know, Fortune 500 companies. What are you doing out here on your own? You need to come work with us. And I was nine months pregnant. So I like to say he got me at a very weak moment. And I went and worked for them for two years, but my accountant will tell you it was a very expensive learning experience. So <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> I learned a lot, but again, I realized I actually, it made more sense to be out here as a small firm, as opposed to being part you of know what's so, what, what's interesting with your story. Um, I do think there are some people that just are, we're mavericks, we're entrepreneurs. We have that sort of spirit and, and we things when we go up because I've had a lot of experiences where I've worked in you know other businesses worked in engineering firm worked in law firm worked in an agent an ad agency all of those things and um and experienced things that didn't sit well with me and a lot of that is what led me to go to law school specifically for the purpose of starting my own business um because it, I mean, like you, I came up my, my first career before becoming a lawyer. I came up in the nineties, was working in firms in the nineties. And there was a lot of sexual harassment. There were oh, a lot yeah. of people who would take advantage of young people. Um, there wasn't as much uh, sharing of information that you see now in the culture among people and the resources that are available to help you that are available on, through social media and online. Now we didn't have those. No, not at I all. I thought you were out here by yourself. Unfortunately, you're somebody who's good at relationships. So you were able to talk with people and get information and make choices. But I can see, you know, like you, I've certainly done that where I've worked places. And then after a little while, you're like, this is something is rotten here and I have to move on to something else. And it's interesting to me that in most every situation, your solution was, I'm just going to start my own. Where do you think that spirit of entrepreneurship or that level of confidence comes from where you, where you just go, you know, I can do this. Where do you think that originated for you? Well, interestingly, um, so I authored a book recently during COVID. And one of the things I talk about in the book, uh, is where I did find that confidence from. And I think it's a surprising place. And that is, um, I was raped in college and, Yeah, but I have to say, I'm somebody, the title of my book is Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. And I'm somebody who believes that the traumas we experience are actually fertilizer, the fertilizer we need to grow to bloom into our greatness. And so by going back and examining those, that trauma and other traumas in my life, I came to realize that it actually bred a quiet confidence in me because I learned about myself that if I could get through that, I could get through anything. And Mm. so for me, there really, you hear people talk about like the fear of making that leap. There was no fear. And I, and I really believe it's, I like to find the blessings and the bad things in that sense. It really was empowering to me because I learned, you know, I could make it through a lot of really tough stuff. So I wasn't afraid of it. It's interesting. You say that I interviewed someone, uh, back, I think it was last year, uh, another woman who got a very rare type of cancer at a really young age in her twenties. And it, and it made her at, and it, uh, she went into remission and then it reoccurred. And so it was really an ongoing sort of traumatic situation, but she said the same thing, experiencing such when you're faced with life or death, it's 
situation, you do develop kind of like uh, nothing else really scares you to that level, you know? So I can see where that, where you took that away from it. And, and it's wonderful that you were able to take that away from such a traumatic experience because, you know, some people don't take, take away that same thing. Um, let's, let's jump into sort of the legal recruiting aspect and tell us a little bit about caring to legal search and what you guys do, the clients you serve and all that. You've been doing this since 2000. So you've been around for quite a while. So I'm yes. sure the pandemic and all of that, all that has uh, affected. So I'm sure you've got a lot of stories. So uh, why I get you, this an idea of what you do, how, what you do first. Yeah. So I, you're right. I've been through quite a few business cycles, right? I mean, I, I started my recruiting firm uh, in 2000 and then of course the internet bubble burst immediately thereafter. Right. So I, like many, you know, solo small firm owners, it, you know, being, having your own business, you've got to be constantly adapting and being creative and figuring out new strategies um, for whatever comes your way. And for me, when the internet bubble burst in 2000, I realized, and this again goes back to not having social media, barely having the internet, um, that the, there was a whole group of lawyers in Austin in particular that had no affinity group to support them. And that particular group of lawyers were the in-house lawyers. And so at the time I was sitting on the board of directors of the Austin Bar Association and with the huge blow to the economy, there was a big retraction in membership and they were, they were looking for new members and they're like, anybody have any ideas? And I said, yeah, I've been doing research. I've been, I had this free time all of a sudden, I've been creating this database of all the in-house lawyers in Austin. I said, I've identified over 400, but at the time we didn't have a chapter for the Association of Corporate Counsel. There literally was no group to support these lawyers. And so I said, I think we should create a section for the in-house lawyers in Austin. And the president of the bar said, I love the idea and you're in charge. And right. so <laughs> it's always the way when you, it's always the way when you suggest or recommend anything, you just get instantly volunteered yeah. to head it up. Yeah. And so I recruited a number of in-house lawyers in Austin to serve as the officers. And I put myself as the administrator to the group and set up the events and did the marketing and all of that. And really kind of just put, made myself of service and not in a selling mode, but just as a partner to the group. And that group took off like wildfire. And then the Association of Corporate Counsel took notice and decided to create an Austin chapter and ended up absorbing that group into it. Of course, you know, this is a classic example of I do all this hard work and then they're like, well, but you can't be involved anymore, Carrie, because you're going to have to pay a sponsorship fee because now we're the Association of Corporate Counsel. But luckily, I knew most of the people already. But that was the beginning of a really focused practice for really a big portion of this time that I've been doing it. I did. I've mostly done in-house. So, um, and what I, I, my strategy has always been, I like to say I'm super sticky, which is to find companies where I really align with their mission and values and then become their go-to outside legal recruiter. And so like, for instance, USAA was one of my clients for about 15 years through different yeah. general counsels, HR people, but just having that alignment of goals and values really, I mean, I knew how to sell USAA. I really believed in that brand. 
And um, one of their top lawyers left and went to Nationwide, and he's now the chief legal officer at Nationwide Insurance. And so they've been my client now for about seven years. So it's creating those long-term relationships and that stickiness. Uh, but then more recently, probably in the last, I guess, five or six years, I started doing more law firm partner recruiting um, just because that's sort of my vintage now, right? So I'm 54 now. A lot of the you know, more senior law firm partners are at that stage of the game now where they're like, okay, what am I going to do next? Maybe it's time to make a change. And so I kind of gotten more involved in the partner work. But interestingly, since we're talking about the solo sort of small firms, um, one of my dear friends from the Austin Bar Association board years ago has her own small firm. They've got about six lawyers. And right now we're helping them find a lawyer. So I really can speak to yeah. working with the smaller firms. Yeah, yeah. I something I, I interviewed a, another a legal recruiter a while back. And one of the things that we at that time um, had just started to happen is you would have large law firms that were sort of poaching from the medium-sized firms and the medium-sized firms were sort of poaching from the small firms. And then the law firm, small firms are turning around looking and going, okay, who am I going to poach from? There's nobody. And so the way most people, uh, the women law firm owners who are running these firms that are, you know, 10 employees or fewer, they may be solos, they may just have their first hire of a lawyer, or they may have two or three. The way they're doing it is they're doing a lot of, you know, placing ads and hoping somebody responds to the ads. And whereas uh, before you'd get hundreds of resumes, now you're lucky if you get two or three, and then you're trying to pick between those two or three that may not be a great fit. One of the things that's very interesting about what you have said so far um, is how you've had all these opportunities because you've been so good at creating long-term relationships. And I'm wondering if that is really a key for hiring good, high-performing lawyers and employees to work with you. Is it, is it, long-term relationship or are you seeing this working where people, you know, are putting ads out or, or what are you seeing and what do you think that we can do to sort of um, deal with that issue? Yeah. Well, you're right. That is happening where we're seeing people kind of go down the chain as far as poaching from different firms. And you're right. I mean, I know there's a number of firms, particularly here in Austin that have no associates anymore. Their associates have just evaporated And so I think it's really important, um, first of all, to work with the local law school career services. So whatever, you know, whatever city you're in, even if you didn't go to that law school, like I went to Tulane, but I've used the University of Texas School of Law many times for different things, Um, not just placing ads in their, you know, in their job bulletin or online through their services, but developing a relationship with the dean and letting them know what you're looking for. And so they can have their eye out because believe me, they're always gonna wanna make sure that all of their students are employed. And so it's it's that, it's also maybe getting involved with the law school so that if you're involved with say like a, um, a trial advocacy program or something, you already have relationships with students so that if they maybe didn't quite have the grades but they have the trial advocacy skills, that's somebody you maybe might wanna poach um, being involved in local um, 
groups like through the bar association or women lawyers or other affinity groups so that you're meeting people and you have already, you're already forming bonds. Um, and then also creating maybe like a, a, a Facebook group or we have one here in Austin that's great. It, it's called Mamas and it's um, for women lawyers. And people post everything from legal questions to babysitting questions on this Facebook group. And believe you me, if you were looking for a young lawyer, it'd be super easy to post on there and say, hey, does anybody know of somebody that they think really highly of that they could recommend? So those are all kind of different strategies that I would use. Yeah, a lot of a lot of my clients I know are looking for they don't have the time to do the training of a baby lawyer. And so they're looking for lawyers with three, five, seven years experience so they can bring in experienced lawyers to hit the ground running. What kinds of ideas do you have for us um, for recruiting those types of lawyers who have a little bit more experience? I, I think the Facebook group is a great idea and the networking with other other lawyers and other women lawyers who are peers, certainly that's a great way to do it. What other kinds of things? Are there things that we need to be thinking about in terms of placing our ads and what we need to have in there? Uh, you know, I, core values, um, uh, certain incentives. Well, I think pr- primarily um, associating yourself with different affinity groups is going to be the best way. But when it comes to placing ads, knowing that I hired somebody recently through an ad, um, I think it's really important to write the ad for the person who's, who's reading it as opposed to your list of job requirements. So tell them what they're going to receive from working for you. So position your ad more about um, whether if, it's, if you are trying cases, you know, opportunity to uh, actually have first chair trial experience, um, work with lawyers that um, you know have done a list, maybe kind of the type of work that you've done, like big successes. Uh, let them know the advantages and benefits of working for you. I mean, one of the things I remember when I wrote out my own ad, I basically said, you know, I'm looking for someone, and I can't remember all the words, but dynamic, exciting, um, the world is your oyster, you know, kind of letting them know I'm conveying in this ad that I'm not going to be micromanaging you. I'm looking for a self-starter. If you're not a self-starter and you, you, and you don't, aren't good with autonomy, then this isn't going to be a fit. But if you are someone, I'm going to make sure I put a lot of things in there that made it compelling. They're like, wow, I really want to work with this person. So it wasn't just a, do I meet these things and I could send in my resume? It was literally something where I want to work with that person. That sounds like so much fun. That sounds so cool. Yeah. I think that's terrific advice because, um, and, and I, there's something really interesting that, that caught my attention. And that is, I think a lot of times when people are creating ads, they're thinking about if they're thinking in terms of what am I offering this person, they're thinking about benefits you get, you know, we have a 401k plan here, or you get Affleck, or we don't have insurance, we have, you know, like they're looking for these benefits. And I think you pointed out something really interesting, which is pointing out to them the exciting opportunity to practice. So you get, you're going to get the first chair on trials, you're going to get trial experience, you're going to get this. So it's all those other things that lawyers want, besides just the 
things that we think of as benefits, monetary benefits or things like that, like working with a a team of, you know, go-getters or a team who love, if you love to go to trial, you're going to love our team. We love to do that. Or if you love transactional work and helping clients uh, solve naughty legal contract problems, you're going to love this. But finding ways to make the actual work itself sound exciting, sound exciting, as it, as, as it can be for somebody who's enthusiastic and loves that kind of work. Right. Yes. So I thought that, that is a great tip and a great idea. A lot of P I saw in uh, a lawyer group, it's been uh, a while back now, but somebody put some job ad that they wrote and it, and, and it was all about all the things, all the bad experiences they had, they put in that ad. If you're this person, don't apply If you're this person, don't apply. And it was a, and then there are a lot of attorneys who, you know, will give tests like, a, you know, you have to submit a video, you have to do it this way, you have to do it this way, because they want to see you follow some instructions. And there was a time when, when the employer was in the control, in the, the driver's seat, seat yeah. right, where we could, or we, we were getting so many resumes, and we had to find some ways to eliminate people. So people who didn't follow simple instructions was, it was a way to eliminate people. But now I think we have to, if we're looking for those really high performing people, we really have to think of it as sales copy almost. Absolutely. Writing stuff. We have to sell the position to people so they know why, why they want to come work for our firm as opposed to all the other options that they're getting. Absolutely. And it's so much more than just money. I mean, a lot of people, you know, you could, you could be paid a ton of money, but if you're just sitting there in your cube, cranking out document after document, I mean, that is so boring and it's just miserable. And they make, you know, people may do that for a year or two, but at some point they're going to pull their head up and go, there's got to be more in life. So it's, it's conveying that, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to do super high quality work. You're going to have interaction with clients. You're going to get to first, you know, be first chair. You're going to get to work arm in arm with the client on a transaction, really sophisticated work. So it's conveying those things and really putting your, your head as if you are the person reading the ad, what is going to get me excited and and make me want to apply and making sure you're attracting the right people. That's the other thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. I, I, you've written an article recently on uh, diversity in the workplace. And I want to talk about that a little bit. I, I think, um, I know for a lot of women law firm owners who are white women law firm owners, and they uh, oftentimes they look around their communities where they are, and they're, they're finding that only other white people or white women are applying for jobs in their community have to be a little bit more intentional if they want to create a more diverse work environment um, and setting out. But how does one go about doing that? What are some ways that we can do that? If we want to be, have a more inclusive and diverse law firm, we want things to be different from law firms that maybe we've worked at before. I know for me, a big frustration was you would pick up law for the reason I started this business because I got tired of seeing uh, law firm, you know, pages that were all white men of what I call the white men over 50 club. Now that I'm over 50, <laughs> I call it the white men over 60 club. Right. But, right. And their diversity hires for white women. Yeah. And 
So if we want to create the firm that we've always wanted to exist, what are some ways that we can do that in a way that uh, is not, um, you know, so overt saying, you know, I'm looking to hire people of color, right? right. The rest of you don't even bother applying. Like what, what are yeah. ways that we can talk about that or do that or other things we can do to rec- recruit from people not that don't necessarily look like us or think like us? Sure. Well, I, I think um, it, it's important to spend some time kind of getting familiar with the other affinity group uh, legal associations. So there are, you know, there's the Minority Corporate Council Association, um, uh, Nam Wolf. Um, you know, there's just there's so many different groups out there. The Hispanic Bar Association, um, the National Bar Association, uh, NAPABA, the Caribbean Bar Association. There are yes. a lot of different affinity yes. groups. Yes. Yeah. So keeping those sort of on speed dial so that when you do post a job, you make sure you share it with them as well and say, look, I'm genuinely interested in, you know, all types. And, and I like to encourage people in addition to making sure people, you know, look diverse, there's also diversity of thought and, um, and approach. So it's, it's more than just, you know, I just want somebody that looks different than me. It's about really embracing, um, different, uh, approaches to life. And, um, so it's, it's not just like this yeah. one way of doing things. I yeah. think that's different what culture, gonna... different way yeah. of thinking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, do you remember some of the numbers? Cause I, I, I remember reading like, uh, of course I'm always looking at stats and things like that, but there's something that you wrote about like, um, the percentages of, of diverse people that, yeah. And you, do you remember any of those percent? I've never good at remembering. Yeah. Well, percentage. so they're, they're pretty, they've pretty much been static. And so one of the, the things that as much as, I mean, we definitely have seen a huge, and it's been really wonderful to see a massive increase in the number of general counsels who are female and also diverse um, in the fortune 500 that has been inc- a huge improvement in just the last two years. But what's interesting is when you go back and you look at the number of diverse candidates even entering law school, and then, you know, when you look at law firms and law firm partners, these numbers have stayed the same. And so one of the things that as much as we have all these diversity efforts, it's like, what's going wrong here? And the answer is people need to have people who look like them to be mentors. And so what we need to do is have more of um, the diverse people, the diverse uh, lawyers go back to and get involved with kids, even at like the high school or junior high school level. And there's some really great programs. Um, and I forget his name. Um, there was a gentleman, he was at Hewlett Packard and now he just changed to some other fancy job. Um, but he was the president of the Hispanic Bar Association at one point. And there's a program in Silicon Valley where they actually go into um, elementary schools and start identifying kids and sponsoring and mentoring them through junior high and high school through college. I mean, it is a long-term program, but basically they really want people to see that there's a path out of poverty or whatever their situation is and provide them with 
um, the guardrails to get to law school and then succeed later. So it's a long-term process. It's not as simple Mm -hmm. as just recruiting more people to law school even. You want them to succeed in law school. And in order to do that, you've got to start at a much younger level. So um, it's about really being committed to it and looking at other creative strategies because it's, it still is going to be, it's a long-term effort. A number of my clients are um, uh, one of the reasons that I started this business is because of my own dissatisfaction with what I saw to be very traditional, uh, model in the legal industry. And like I said, the partners were uh, white men. And it was in the 90s when I was sort of in my first career, I worked for a law firm and there were their idea of diversity or inclusion were to start hiring women and letting women like become pop partners, right? Right. Until then they were hiring women, but you know, who who was getting to be partner. And so it's still a very frustrating and slow process. So for me being the rebel that I am, I said, you know, I want to support, I want to support women who uh, from all different walks of life, who want to create, to to be the named partners and have their names on the door. I think the way we're going to have to do it is from the outside and starting our own firms because, you know, there's only so much of begging for support inside of a large firm that you can, that you can do. And then after a while, you need to like, very much like what you did, you walked away from a situation, started your own thing. So I'm a huge encourager of starting your own, but then also thinking when you start your own firm and you start hiring people, whether you are a person of color or you're a white person, you know, whatever your background is looking at otherness and saying, how can I have other people here from different walks of life, different ways of thinking, different cultures, different upbringings, because I think clients will be better served Absolutely. by that, you yeah. know? Um, and um, I do, like you said, I, do, I have a, a client who's uh, wonderful, who owns her own law firm, and she has started at a very young age, just mentoring kids in her community. And she's not a mom. She doesn't have kids yet, but she makes it a point to go and be an example to kids in her community of success and what it looks like. So I do see where that is super important. And then in the, in the more immediate term, looking, being more intentional, I think you have to be more intentional because it can be very easy just to say, well, this is, these are the only people who applied to my job, you know, offering as opposed to actively recruiting, which is what recruiters do. You actively career. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So from your from you actively recruiting, are you using, um, do you use LinkedIn much as a tool? I know a yes. lot of recruiters really like to use LinkedIn as a, as a tool. Yes. And let me give my little pet peeve on, on that. That is um, a lot of people will just put on there. Like I work at Sullivan and Cromwell. I'm like, yeah. that's great. What do you do? What section are you in? What are your, um, you know, give me like a a deal sheet or a representative uh, lawsuits, or, I mean, give me some color. I mean, what you do labor and employment, do you just do wage and hour? Do you do employment litigation? Like, so when I'm looking, if I just see a firm name that tells me nothing, (laughs) tells me nothing and it tells clients nothing. So you really, whether it's to get business because you're marketing yourself or it's just to be, as I like to say, like with the universe, just being open to opportunity, 
make sure you put a lot of information on there that conveys who you are, what you do, the level of skills that you have, whether you've like first chaired or not, um, you know, whether you've you know, run M&A deals on your own, whatever it is, make sure that you include that information because that's going to be critical, um, whether it's somebody looking to hire you or, or hire you away. So, do you think that attorneys have a fear of, you know, they know that there's a attorney client privilege and confidentiality. So they have a fear of, if I put something on there, people are going to be able to make connections. I'm going to get in trouble with the bar, anything like that. No, it's just laziness. (laughs) I don't think it's, it it, well, it's partly laziness. Um, I think that lawyers have a huge fear of selling. Yes, that would be true. That would be true. And I can speak, I can speak for myself. I read, um, I think it's Daniel Goleman. It's a book that's to sell as human. That book, every person listening to this podcast, please go get that book. book. Okay, to sell as human. Yes. And it, he talks about how every one of us, even the, like the, the, the least salesy person on this planet is selling at some point. And so he walks you through that to the point you, I left reading that book as, I guess I'm actually in sales and I didn't know it. And it made me, once I took ownership of that, I looked at what I was doing very differently and how I approached things very differently. But for some reason, particularly with lawyers, we feel like selling is dirty and that is not true. So remove that from your thought process yeah. to sell is human. You do it every day, all day long. You don't even know you're doing it. And so when you read this book, it will empower you and change your view on that. Well, that's wonderful. We'll, we will include the link in the show notes. Uh, along with the link to your book, uh, Blooming, which uh, I'm eager to read uh, and hear about your philosophy and story. And I love your subtitle for that um, (laughs) that book. Uh, So before we wrap up today, what leave us with one gold nugget as women law firm owners who are looking to really get that team, cultivate that team that is a high-performing, loyal team who loves their work and loves to work with us, what would be one, two, three things that we need to be focused on to cultivate that team? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is, um, as human beings, we tend to hire people like ourselves. And that is a very flawed thing when you're looking to create a team. Because if I'm a quarterback, I can't hire five other quarterbacks, we're not going to work. So it's, First of all, starting out and identifying your own strengths and strengths and weaknesses, and then realizing what it is you need to add to create your team that's going to fill you out. Then as you hire, don't just hire to like, oh, I like that person. Really evaluate their strengths and weaknesses and what they bring to the team and make sure then that um, you you create a well-rounded team that meets a number of different needs where you have different subject matter experts where they feel like this is, you know, they can take ownership of something and and run with the ball on a particular subject or different um, resource or process in the office. And then open and honest communication is key. And so creating that psychological framework in the office where people feel safe talking about um, their 
their needs, the processes, you know, what's going on. And they don't feel like they're going to be judged or criticized when they bring something up. Um, so uh, strong communication, shared values, uh, spirit of collaboration. These are all things that are really, really important. Right. I actually am so, I, I always get other people to help me hire because I am um, such a relationship oriented person. Yes. That I usually find something I like about most people. Yes. And I tend to gravitate toward people who are like me. Yeah. Who, who are, you know, artistic and creative and love to chat, all those things. And people I really need on my team. Like I have a virtual assistant who I got someone to help me um, hire her. She is very much an executor and I can send her anything and she just executes it and does it but she doesn't have a personality like mine. Yes. And so I, I, I sought help because I think that sometimes we think we're the best person to hire people to work with us. And sometimes we're not. That's where recruiters, um, HR coaches, those kind of people can, can really come in handy in helping us hire people for our team because we have blind spots about yes. our own you know, who we're needing to fill in the gaps for us, you know, because these are things that we don't like. For instance, you know, if everybody's listening to my podcast knows I don't like to do bookkeeping, but I need people, I need bookkeepers in my life. You know, I need accountants in my life. I need these people and our personalities are very different, but I need them. And I often need people to help me identify who these, these people are, right? Because I don't see them in the same way. So I do think that's terrific advice for people and also to seek help, you know, it, it stop trying to do it. You, your strength may not be in hiring people. Mine certainly is not. Um, the whole thought of interviewing and writing an ad and all of that is not for me. So I hire people usually to help me with that, right? Because it's just something I don't love to do. Right. Yeah. So there are a lot of resources out there. Um, certainly Carrington legal search is an option too. You may not be able to help some people, but there may be some people who reach out and ask. You never know, right? Yes. It may be a good fit for you to reach out and ask that. Uh, tell us how we can connect with you, find out more information about Carrington uh, Legal Search, and um, connect with you if we need to. Sure. Want to. Yeah. So on LinkedIn, I'm my profile is under Carrie, spelled C-A-R-R-I-E, Smith, Trebu. And of course, Trebu is T-R-A-B-U-E. Um, you can find my uh, work website, which is carringtonlegal.com. And um, also you can find me on Instagram at Carrington ATX for Austin, Texas. Uh, lots of different resources there. So great, great, great. We will include all of that in the show notes too. So people can just go there and click and connect with you. And also uh, we'll share uh, a link to your book and the To Sell is Human book. So yes. anybody who's interested in reading that, I know I'm going to get a copy of that. I'm curious. I have heard of it before, but I've never read it. So thanks for sharing that. Yes, Great absolutely. resource too. I appreciate you being here today, Carrie. I've enjoyed it so I much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. 
Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, Go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.